Good morning. Welcome to the McGregor EMC Sunday service for February 7th of 2021. Thanks for joining us. How good is it to sing praises to our God. He heals the brokenhearted, binding up their wounds. He counts the stars and calls them each by name. How great is our God. His power is absolute and his understanding beyond comprehension. So come, sing out your thanksgiving to God. Offer to God that worship that belongs to him alone. Love, my deep and bad. 
everlasting God, we know how easy it is to forget your presence and power in our lives. Focused on our daily to-do list, we do not pay attention to the night sky and the stars that glitter. Surrounded by sounds of anger, violence, and hate, we have trouble listening to your whispers of hope and grace. Thinking that scripture is only filled with stories, we cannot understand your truth, which can change lives. Forgive us. There is no one who can hold a candle to you when it comes to mercy and hope. Lift us to our feet so we may walk with you. Fill us with your strength so we can serve your people. Touch us with your healing so we can proclaim to everyone the good news that has come in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Jesus Messiah, 
Please bow with me now in a word of prayer. Our God, we come before you with the words of 1 Corinthians on our hearts. The words that tell us that though we may be free in you, that freedom is bought with a price. Though we may be free through you to live as we choose, knowing we are forgiven, nevertheless, what is also true is that recognizing the great price that that freedom was bought with, that we know that with everything that we are, we have to give back. We have to spread the good news. We have to follow you. God, we pray that you impress this message that rubs so many of us the wrong way on our hearts. Because it is a hard message to swallow. It is a hard message for us to take in this world where we are told every single day that the only thing that matters, the only thing that is worth anything, is that we do as we wish when we choose to, consequences aside. But this isn't the message that we are taught in your word. Our lives, we know, are for you. And what's more is that while that might seem stifling, truly instead, it is the most freeing thing that can be. So God, we pray in this world that is absolutely obsessed with rights and making sure that we get our way, that instead we flip that narrative and in everything that we do and everything that we are, we focus on you. God, this we pray. And God, we also, when we read these words, when we think this thought, our mind goes beyond just us individually as well. It goes to your church that for so long now has been so very concerned with making sure that it gets the upper hand that in many ways we have stopped remembering that that is not what you call us to. God, we pray that you set this on us. God, we pray that in everything that we do, we remember that as your church, our job is to, with everything that we are, chase you, follow you as you lead, share your gospel to the world so that others may know the wonderful things that you have done as well. God, this we pray. And God, we pray most of all that there will be a change in the hearts of your believers the country over, that you will incite in each one of us that fire that comes from following after you with all that we are. God, we pray during this time of lockdown now as it seems to be finally possibly coming to an end, whenever that will be, God, we pray that we use these last days to focus in on you, to grow in you, to become your children in a new way way so that once we can get back into the world again that we will never stop running we will never stop building up your kingdom in the world around us in your name we pray these things amen i'll be reading from the new international readers version first corinthians 9 16 to 23 but when i preach the good news i can't brag i have to preach it how terrible it be for me if I do not preach the good news. If I preach because I want to, I get a reward. If I preach because I have to, I'm only doing my duty. Then re what reward do I get? Here is what it is. I am able to preach the good news free of charge. And I can do this without using all my rights as a person who preaches the good news. I am free and I don't belong to anyone, but I've made myself a slave to everyone. I do it to win as many as I can to Christ. To the Jews, I became like a Jew. That was to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one who was under the law. I did this even though I myself am not under the law. 
that was to win those under the law. To those who don't have a law, I became like one who doesn't have the law. I did this even though I am not free from God's law. I am under Christ's law. Now I can win those who don't have the law. To those who are weak, I became weak. That was to win the weak. I have become all things to all people. I have done this so that in all possible ways, I might save some. I do all of this because of the good news. I want to share in its blessings. Good morning, and thank you for having me here to speak with you this morning. The Lord is so good to allow me to speak to you from so many miles away. I know that uh, it's hard not seeing people in person, but I trust that the Lord will be blessing you even through just allowing me to speak to you. My name is Elijah Windle. Many of you know me. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I have really close ties to the church. Uh, David and Lillian Sawatsky are my grandparents, and uh, Larry and Ruth Windle are my parents. So many of you know of our family and of our ministry. Um, I have a wife, Jessica, and six lovely children, the youngest of which is just eight months old, and the oldest of which is just about ten. We're missionaries to Rio Grande Bible Institute in South Texas, and God has given us the rich ministry of being able to train godly leaders for the global church. My particular role at Rio Grande Bible Institute is to take the students who arrive here at Rio Grande and place them in practical ministry, letting them put into practice exactly what they learned in the classroom and allowing them to develop the skills that'll make them successful in ministry. And it's amazing to me to see as I look around at uh, how the world is changing so quickly in front of us uh, and just thinking how the world is so, so terribly closely knit through all the technological gifts that we have. I am glad that if we're going through a pandemic that we're doing so in a time like this, um, it's been a joy to see as we've gone through this difficult time that God has been using it to really expand his kingdom. Uh, we've been witness to this through the practical ministries side of our students as they've been ministering through digital means. I was talking with some of our students yesterday who have been pouring their lives into youth in uh, Colombia and other ones who are pouring their lives into people in Mexico and in other places, people who have never set foot in a church sometimes are being affected through all these social media outlets that we have to, for ministry. Great joys uh, recently has been that we were able to have a, a youth conference here in November during which we had well and to the hundreds of, of youth representing about 12 different countries. Several of them dedicated their lives to Christ. Other ones um, dedicated their lives now and surrendered to the call of ministry and have some of them have even applied here at Rio Grande as future students. It's good to see God in the business of calling people to himself and calling people to ministry and using whatever circumstances that we're in to 
um, allow us to extend the reach of the gospel into places we couldn't reach otherwise. Our classes now at Rio Grande are a hybrid of in-person and online classes. We're able to use tools like Zoom and radio and recordings to allow us to have students who may never set foot on our campus but can be directly influenced and taught through our professors here at Rio Grande. Um, it's also been a joy to see that um, as, we, as we look at the way that this is changing, we're able to reach far into the other sides of the globe and just been able to watch as God has opened doors to even closed countries through technological means. And I wanted to share this with you. I know things are, are tight and under a lot of lockdown right now. And I wanted to encourage you that the gospel is not chained, no matter what the circumstances we find ourselves in. And um, we're witnesses of that here as people are seeking God and looking for a genuine expression of the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the lives of the people that they interact with, even in online realms. And that leads us perfectly into the passage for this morning, as we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 9, verses 16 through 23. That's 1 Corinthians 9, 16 through 23, and I'm going to read it in the English Standard Version, if you'll follow along with me, it says, For I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel, for if I do this of my own will, I have a, re a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. So what is my reward then? What that in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those who are under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are outside the law, I became as one who's outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those who are outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak, and I have, uh, have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your gospel that transforms the way that we live our lives and transforms the way that we approach people and transforms the world that we live in. And I pray, dear Lord, that as we look at this part of your word here and specifically this example from the life of Paul, that you would um, place in our hearts the importance of our stewardship that we have from the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that you'd place in our hearts a humility that allows us to esteem others as more important than ourselves, and that we would be faithful, dear Lord, to those things that you've entrusted to us. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. 
Well, the book that we're dealing with here is 1 Corinthians. It's a book all about salvation. Paul desired, really, in this book, from beginning to end, to teach the believers in Corinth how the gospel affects the way that they live their lives. Um, Corinth, just to give you a bit of background, was a key port for the, and capital for the Roman government in that region. It had been rebuilt um, about 100 years prior um, after the conquest of the Romans. Um, it was a city full of many, many, many people from all over the place. It had a large cultural diversity. It was a hub for, for paganism, and it was also... Um, because of all of these uh, te pagan temples, it was a hotbed for immorality. It hosted um, games, and it drew people from all across Greece. It was located on an isthmus between two ports, and so they would cross over um, with many, many goods from both sides, making it a key place and one of the first places that was colonized in all of, uh, of Greece. Paul saw the strategic location and chose to go there during his second missionary journey. We see that in Acts chapter 18. And he spent um, about 18 months there, a whole year and a half, just ministering to the people in the marketplaces and in their houses and in the synagogues and um, developing those believers. And uh, he even wrote the book of Romans from Corinth. Uh, we find that in Romans chapter 16. His church is, was one of Paul's biggest ministry efforts. He meant, spent so much time there and so much uh, ink he spilled um, for their sake. He wrote about four letters from what we can tell to the church in Corinth. Only two of them are in the New Testament. But those two letters make up about a third of the content of all of the epistles. And so he had a lot to say to them, and a lot of what he deals with in these um, books, especially in 1 Corinthians, is in response to what he's heard after he left Corinth. He left Corinth, he was ministering in many other places, and in Ephesus, now about three years after his time there in Corinth, he hears tell that there's a lot of issues going on. There's immorality, there's boasting, there's divisions, there's confusion about doctrine, and there is this incipient attitude of um, self-righteousness and self and the rights of the people, their freedom in Christ to do even immoral and unright things. And, and he decides to write to them. He can't just chop, hop on an airplane and head over at a, at a moment's notice. And so he sends them these letters that speak even into the the propensities of our society today. As people, we tend to be given to divisions. We tend to lack wisdom. We tend to put our um, morality often on a side note from what happens in church on Sunday. We tend to put our own personal preferences ahead of the well-being of others. We tend to put our personal preferences in places of worship, and we tend to be confused about a lot of what God has to tell us in, in his truth. 
So as Paul divides this book up of 1 Corinthians, he divides it essentially into five sections, and the first one deals with the divisions and wisdom. He talks about the need to be humble, and that community of Jesus Christ, the community of the church, must be centered on Jesus Christ and the gospel, and not on individuals or people or specific leaders. He puts everything in perspective, and it's on that basis that we're, we come in here after he's dealt with these divisions in wisdom, he deals with moral laxity and marriage. Um, there was a lot of sexual immorality within the church of Corinth, and the immorality in many ways seems to have been labeled as acceptable. After all, Christ died to save us from our sins, he can forgive us, and Paul puts them straight on that. Um, and essentially tells them that Jesus died for our sins so that we no longer, even in our bodies and in those basis desires and um, passions of the human body, all of these things belong to God and not to us. So what we do with our bodies and what we do with our lives and what we do with our morality has real consequences because we no longer belong to ourselves. And then he jumps into a, an entire section, chapters 8 through 10, deal with the sacrifices to idols and eating food. It seems as though there was um, a big market for cheap meat that had been offered to these sacrifice, as sacrifices to these, te vega, uh, these pagan temples, and it was easy to get a hold of. And some people said, that's fine. Other people said, no, these have been offered to to idols, we can't possibly do that, and they saw it as a very real moral conundrum. And Paul not only urges them not to eat meat from, from idols, he says essentially that we have um, a freedom within Christ, but that freedom has to be tempered with perspective. And that's where chapter 9 comes in. Paul, in giving perspective to our calling in Christ and our stewardship of the gospel of Jesus Christ and our place of humility and not of pride and not of boasting, that's where we find ourselves today. And we find ourselves seeing and very clear example, Paul's life. Paul has spent a year and a half with them, and he calls to their remembrance some of these things that they had watched and noticed about him. He had been accused of not charging for his ministry because it wasn't worth it, or that he wasn't a really good teacher, or many of these things that his, his detractors had said. And he defends himself, especially in the second book of 2 Corinthians. But here we see his heart for the people, his heart for the gospel. And we under, begin to understand how it is that we should approach issues of our personal rights and our personal freedom. Our personal rights and personal freedom are not all beneficial um, in the following of Jesus Christ. So in verses 16 and 17, Paul says, For I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity laid it on me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel, for if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if it's not of my own will, I am still entrusted with the stewardship. 
And herein, as I went through and studied at this time, uh, this passage, I have preached from here before, and a word that jumped out at me this time was that of stewardship. Stewardship is defined as the conducting, supervising, or managing of something, especially the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to someone's care. Now, that definition from the Merriam-Webster um, sounds all complicated, but essentially what it tells us is this. Stewardship is taking something that is not ours and wisely and carefully and faithfully administering it. So what God has done to you and me, and particularly we see this in the calling of Paul, is he has given us through the gospel of Jesus Christ a stewardship Meaning, the gospel of Jesus Christ is God's. The place where we find ourselves in life is also belonging to God. Our lives belong to Christ because we have been purchased by him. Our ministry belongs to Christ because he is the one who does the calling. So if it's God's ministry, God's calling, God's life, God's body then our personal passions and our personal rights don't even come into play. We give them up for the sake of wisely stewarding what God has given us. The primary issue for Paul in this was not over payment and not over rights, but over his calling. He saw his calling as something central to who he was and how uh, future payment would come uh, because he forego, for uh, he was denied his current compensation, he paid his way for his ministry there in Corinth, and while he had the right to be paid, he didn't do it for the pay. He did it in faithfulness to the calling of Jesus Christ. When we go throughout our lives, we often ask the question, what's in it for me? And I'm afraid to tell you this is the wrong approach. Our question should not be, what's in it for me? But what has God called me to do? God has called us to be faithful to his word. He's called us to turn to Jesus Christ in repentance. He's called us to serve him and to give the gospel to the world around us, to transform our lives in every single way. As Paul is coming here now to the stomach, that hits, hits us very deeply within what it means to be human. He says it's not, it doesn't matter so much about what you're eating. It matters how this affects your stewardship, your wise care for that which God has given you. So as Paul didn't take this salary per se, he said, if it's up to me to serve, then I'll have a reward. But since it's not up to me, and it's a calling, I cannot get away with not preaching the gospel. He's faithful to his calling. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. His stewardship, that thing that God had entrusted to him, was preaching the gospel to people for the sake of salvation. He was interested in seeing people's lives transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. So what was his reward? His reward for his free service wasn't payment and there wasn't an ulterior motivation, but it, and it wasn't even a career choice. Sometimes people do things without paying now just so that they can 
step up the rungs of the ladder of, of human advancement at a later time. And that's not what Paul was after. Instead, what Paul was after was the privilege of preaching the gospel without support. It was his reward. He set his liberty aside, and God promised him a reward in the future. The reward is the fruit. Seeing people's lives transformed through the power of Jesus Christ, no matter what it is that we see happening in your life and in mine, our primary value cannot be what's in it for me. Paul says here in verse 19, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as under the law, even though I am not being under the law myself, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, and not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings." Essentially, what Paul is saying here, he's placing himself in a position that no one would envy. Rather than being the pastor, the preacher, the apostle, the one that everyone looks up to, instead he says, I become a servant. This is my choice. Rather than choosing human accolades and rather than choosing human position, I choose to be a servant. In those times, the servant was the lowest of the low. They were not one of those people that would be envied by the rest of society. He, quote, by some, enslaved himself, in this case, to supporting himself in order to serve those people better so that more would come to Jesus Christ. This is exactly what Jesus was talking to his disciples about in John chapter 13 when he said, If then your Lord and Master have washed your feet, you also should wash each other's feet. Jesus put himself in the position of a servant. A servant that would even take the meanest, the smallest of jobs and wash the feet of his disciples. And he said, this is the way things work in the kingdom of Christ. And Paul understood that. So as he wraps this up in the next chapter, you'll be looking at this at a later date. He says in verse 23 and 24 of chapter 10, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. There's our value system. That's why Paul chose to be a servant to all people, because this is the true role of a spiritual leader. And to the Jews, he became a Jew. He was born a Jew. He was trained a Jew. He grew up a Jew. And because he was a Jew, speaking to the Jews was natural to him. And he spoke to them on their own terms in terms that they would understand, in concepts that they would understand, and in a way that they would understand. He lived his life according to what it would be like to live under the law of Moses. 
He would live under that so that there would be no barriers culturally to him sharing with the Jews. He would follow their dietary requirements. He would follow many of their other customs so that they couldn't stand back and say, see, this person is not a man of high moral character. This is not someone we should listen to. He didn't want his own personal testimony to get in the way of the gospel of Christ. And the same goes for those who are, uh, are not under the law. And the following verse there, he went directly into those under the law, I became, or outside the law, I made myself as one who's outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. Well, what's the law of Christ? The law of Christ is that, as sinners, we are saved by the grace of God through the gift of of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for us. He died on the cross for us, took our sins, and paid the penalty for our sins and death. He rose from the dead, and he's ascended into heaven now. And as his gospel is applied to us, it's applied to us by grace through faith, and that grace through faith, as it comes and works into our lives... It transforms the way that we live. So as he's been talking to the people here in Corinth, they had gotten to the point of saying, yes, I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, but then they stripped it down and said, no, he's only my Savior. He's the one who comes when I've got trouble. I will live the way, my life the way I want. I will eat what I want. I will do what I want. I will live morally however I wish. But when it comes to forgiveness, I'll seek that in Christ. And Paul flips it on, his head, on its head and says, I live this way, not because I have freedom, but because the gospel of Jesus Christ, now the law of Christ as he's transforming my life and saving my soul, transforms the way that I live and transforms the values that I have. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. Now, Paul was not saving people. Paul was bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to people in faithfulness to his calling to preach it, and that was saving people. God's in the business of saving people, and he's in the business of using ordinary people like you and me to be his witnesses in the world around us. And I'd like to ask you something here as you consider this, and you watch what Paul did with his life, and you look at the rest of the book of 1 Corinthians as you're going through it, and it hits you on these moral issues, it hits you on these issues of your rights and your privileges, and I want to place this on you now. Look at your life. Is there anything in your life right now that if the world looks at you, it gets in the way of your presentation of the gospel, your witness of Jesus Christ. It does there have anything, is there anything at all within you that smacks of hypocrisy, that 
interferes with the moral position of the people around you? If there is, it's time to take a good, hard look at how the gospel of Jesus Christ is transforming your life. Do you truly hold Jesus Christ and his gospel as of first importance in your life? Is it changing the way that you live? Is it changing the way you interact with your family? Is it changing the way that you respond to those around you, to your government, to your church, to your pastor, to your fellow believers? Is it changing the way that you do your business? Is it changing the way that you raise children and the way that you interact with your spouse? Does it change the way that you regard how to spend your money? Paul saw this as a stewardship. God gave him his life. God gave him his salvation. God gave him his calling. And he was a steward in wisely administering his life and ministry in such a way as to accomplish what God had for him. He didn't want anything at all in his life to get in the way of what God had for him to do. And for you... I flip this right back to you. Is there anything that you're doing now that is a, not a wise use of what God has given you? And particularly when it comes to your rights and privileges, those inalienable human rights that we all have. Oh, I have the right to this or that. I have the right to these privileges, especially within a free country. These words get repeated over and over again. Are you willing to become the servant of all so that you might reach some? Because that's what Paul is implying to these people. That's what he's pushing them towards, that they would value others as more important than themselves, that they would seek not their own good, but the good of their neighbors. And because that's the call from Paul, that's the call that I'm sending out to you. The gospel of Jesus Christ should show up in our attitudes, in our bodies, in our wallets, in our stomachs, in our marriages, in our families, in our homes, in our business. Everywhere that we step foot, every decision that we make should be impacted by our relationship with Jesus Christ. We should approach all that we do not by what's owed to me, what are my rights, what are my privileges, but what's the humble thing to do? And what would a wise steward of God's life, not mine, but God's, what would a good steward do with what God has given him? I want to close with those, just those thoughts that we first and foremost focus on what is critical to God, not to us. That we focus on our calling from Him, our calling to a holy life, our calling to ministry, that we focus on what God has for us, not what we want to have. And not what sounds good and sounds pleasant, but what sounds like a good use of the resources that God has given us.
The resources might be money, they might be family, they might be relationships, they might be time. Whatever the relationship is with people, that stewardship that God has given us is to preach the gospel through what we do and what we say. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you. We thank you that you've brought us together in Jesus Christ, that you are the focus of all that we do. Thank you for your calling on my life in particular and giving me the privilege of serving here at Rio Grande with these future leaders and missionaries. And I pray, dear Lord, that you would speak to my life as well as the lives of all that are listening, that you would transform us into good stewards of what you've given us, dear Lord. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you're doing around us. And I pray, dear Lord, that you would encourage our hearts by what you're doing in the midst of all the pandemic and all the political strife and everything else that we see around us. Thank you, Lord, that the gospel is not chained up and not stopped by anything that's happening around us. Thank you that you're calling people to you still now. Thank you that you've chosen us as your chosen instruments to bring your gospel to save people. Help us, dear Lord, to choose what's right, to choose to be good stewards of what you've given us. And we thank you, Lord, that you're always faithful to us, that you always care, and that we can trust you with all of eternity. We thank you, dear Lord. Amen.
Today's benediction is modified from the book of 1 Corinthians. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Go now and serve our God.